Hello, everybody, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us, I just want to say welcome, and I'm so glad to have you here. My name is Christian Keeter, and my family and I live um, in North Carolina on the east coast of the U.S. Um, I am on staff at an international discipleship ministry, and I also just felt really called to the Lord to start a podcast on the side. Um, I talk about all of that in episode one, introduction. Uh, And also in episode one, I talk about the scope of this podcast. And I just want to reiterate that here because I don't necessarily expect you to stop this and go listen to that right now. Although it'd be okay if you wanted to. But basically the scope of this podcast is going to fall under three primary headers. The first one is just what God is teaching me, what he's showing me. Um, I just want to share it with you guys because I believe that if it originated with him and I share it with you guys, it'll, it'll have power. And it'll affect you, that it'll impact your life the way that it impacted mine. The second category is a question and answer. And then the third category is just hopefully giving you guys tools on how to read the Bible better, how to understand it better, what even to do with the Bible, because it's such a big book and large portions of it are very confusing. (laughs) And we typically uh, just spend time in a few specific sections of it because we don't really know what to do with the rest sometimes. So those are the three categories. Today's episode is going to fall under the first category, what the Lord has been showing me. And it's a little bit different of an episode because what I'm actually going to do, I'm recording this introduction right now, but I'm going to include the audio for a lesson that I just gave uh, a couple of days ago, actually this past weekend, at the ministry um, that I'm on staff with, uh, Mentoring Men for the Master. I had the opportunity and privilege just to be able to share Uh, with the class. And so I am going to include that here. And so I wanted to put that disclaimer up front because there'll be a couple things maybe here or there where you can tell that I'm interacting with people in a room. And so I just want to say that up front. Um, But thank you guys for listening. And I'll uh, I'll pop back up at the end um, after the teaching. I'm just going to share with you guys what's there. And this is going to take, because I want to say this up front as a disclaimer, this is going to take the form of kind of a personal testimony with general applications. Um, Because the points that I'll make apply to all of us, although it's going to be inside of the specific circumstance that I learned these lessons. So uh, what are we talking about? Everyone's favorite subject of surrender. Surrender. Surrender is something that we love to talk about and love to quote verses about, but something that we don't actually enjoy. We'll quote verses like, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Uh, We'll sing songs like, I surrender all, or oceans. You know, if you actually listen to the lyrics of these songs, you're like, does anybody actually live this way? Like, oh my goodness, like this is like incredible faith and surrender. And so, but surrender, yieldedness. This past, uh, over the course of the past number of weeks, I felt like the Lord was leading me to do something that I really didn't want to do. And it came in, in prayer a lot. You know, when you're praying, sometimes you'll have this just kind of impression or even a thought. It's kind of hard to put words to without sounding a little crazy. But it's, you know, just where you're like, I think God is telling me something here. And of course, that internal impression will line up with the Word of God. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then it didn't come from the Spirit of God, and you still need to seek counsel from other people. But the Lord will absolutely speak to us through prayer. Absolutely. Prayer is a two-way street. So I had this growing internal impression that the Lord was telling me to do something, and it just kept coming up, and it kept coming up. And I want to tell you what it is, but when you hear what it is, don't write it off as silly or petty, because it was a big deal to me, And like I said, the principles of surrender I learned through this process apply to all of us, regardless of where we are in it. So in prayer, I hear the the words, give up coffee. Give up coffee. And I'm like, ain't no way that's the Lord. I'm, I'm like, no way. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, no, oh, well, that was just... Something I ate, something else is going my way. I'm just going to stop praying now. <laughs> and so, 
And so this goes on for a little bit. And so I, it just kind of keeps coming up, keeps coming up. And I'm like, oh man, I can't get away from this. And so I asked my wife, Lacey, I'm like, Lacey, will you please pray for me? Because I'm clearly losing my mind. And <laughs> will, you, will you pray that the Lord makes it clear? Basically, will you pray the Lord gives me wisdom that if this is him speaking, that he will let me know? And she says, of course, and she does. And I, uh, then I also, you know, I, I, you know, bounced it off of her and other believers as well. Cause I'm like, somebody talked me out of it. Come on now. And the multitude of, you know, counselors, there is victory Proverbs says. And so I'm like, let me ask a lot of people till I hear what I want to hear. And, <laughs> and, and, and most of it was just like, well, is it, cause it really boils down to, well, is the Lord saying it or is he not? And so through all of these circumstances, situations, conversations, prayer, I began to realize he's saying give up coffee. And let me say something to the outset. I mean, I see you guys sipping on your coffee right now. Uh, I hope it's great. But um, yeah, well, that, that's, and, that, and that is what I want to say because I don't want to be misunderstood. I, I, this is clearly a personal conviction. Um, drinking coffee is not a sin. You know what I mean? And so obviously, obviously, but I don't want somebody to be like, Christian said we can't have caffeine anymore. I didn't say that. This is something that the Lord has just been doing in my life specifically. Very important. So then I thought when he said that, I'm like, okay, <clears throat> okay, Lord. Because when God says something and he like means it, he's kind of like a brick wall. And I don't mean that irreverently or negatively, but you, you, you try to find ways around it. You try to talk God out of it, but he's just like, a lot of times he'll say it and then he'll just be silent with the responses. It's just like, okay, please, you know, anything but this. It's like, no, I've said what I'm going to say. You know what you need to do. Do what you need to do. And not in a harsh or cruel way, but that's definitely um, what it's like. And, and those of you who have had to surrender something that you really didn't want to let go of, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been through that process. So <clears throat> I say, okay, you know what? I'll get rid of coffee. I'm just going to slam green tea all day long. Less caffeine, but if I drink like three times as much green tea, then I'll still get the level of caffeine that I had beforehand, and, uh, and green tea is healthy, and uh, supposedly it is. But, uh, but, but I was just being really legalistic. It was like, okay, yeah, no, no coffee, but yeah, okay, green tea. And so then the Lord quickly, I believe, spoke again and said, give up green tea. And I'm like, <laughs> it's caffeine. I'm like, it's not coffee, it's caffeine. And I was like, oh no, oh no. And so I try to stop, and again, please, I'm not just talking about my life here. This is gonna come back around, but I need you to go on this path with me that I went down so that you can see what I saw. So I tried to stop cold turkey, bad idea. Um, migraines, really sick, yeah. like really sick. And I was like, dang. And guys, I didn't drink much coffee. It was one and a half cups in the morning and one cup in the afternoon, 28 ounces, a little bit bigger than a large at a coffee shop. And so it's not like I'm slamming, you know, 2,000 milligrams a day. And so, <clears throat> but, so then I thought, well, that was a mistake. I weaned myself off every third day, decreased by two ounces, and then got down to zero. But guys, it was so bad. Um, not even just physically, but like emotionally, like out, outside of human relationships. And I really want to make that clear outside of human relationships, coffee, caffeine was the last thing I wanted to give up. Like the last thing I'm like, I'll never eat cheese again. You know, I'll even be a vegan before I give up, you know, caffeine, but, but no, it was caffeine. And so I started really wrestling. I was like going through the five stages of grief. I started with denial. It's like, no, the Lord could not have said that. Then, you know, anger and bargaining. Please, God, please. You know, <laughs> sadness, all sorts of stuff. And, um, and the, Lord, the Lord spoke to me, I think, three specific things in this process. I feel like over, because this began, today is, I think, day 15 without any caffeine. Um, yeah, but I'd been weaning myself off for a few weeks before then, so, and, um, and hey, I'm alive and well. But I, uh, the process was, was not fun, and it actually wasn't pretty. And the Lord, like I said, said three things to me, and I want to share with you the three things that he said to me and the implications that they had. Because if anybody's in a position where they've had to surrender something, these are going to resonate with you. Or if you're in a position where you're teetering, this might give you the confidence just to take the step of surrender. Because, um, guys, we've got to surrender. Like, he, he's Lord. 
Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I tell you? So the first thing he said to me, again, the internal impression, I'm not having an Abraham moment, voice from heaven sort of thing, although I'm not opposed to that, but that's not what this was. It was um, just kind of the internal impression, but it was definitely the Lord. He said, I'm parenting you right now. I'm being your father. I'm being your father. I'm parenting you. And what this was, basically, what was wrapped up in that phrase is he was saying to me, I'm giving you what you need, not what you want. And included in that is the fact that sometimes, as a good heavenly father, he'll just tell us no. And sometimes we just need to hear no. Sometimes we do just need to hear no. Um, where, I mean, where am I getting this? There are a ton of scriptures you could go to to, to, to see what I'm talking about. But if you're going to talk about God parenting you, one of the biggest passages that you're going to be looking at is Hebrews chapter 12. It's the famous passage on what we call the discipline of the Lord. Um, now, I'm going to read some of these verses stopping along the way. But before I even get into that, let me talk a little bit briefly about the word discipline, because the word discipline has a very negative connotation in a lot of situations for us. Not so in Greek. First off, the word is, the Greek word for discipline is paideia. Um, paideia. And uh, it does not mean punishment. Very clear distinction between discipline and punishment. The word paideia is a word that describes the total process of a parent bringing a child into adulthood. That's what paideia is. Now that sometimes includes what we would think of as discipline based out of love, but not punishment. But it's more than that. It is everything that is necessary, provision, nurturing, discipline, all these things to get a child from childhood into adulthood. And God says, this is how I interact with you. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5. I want to pause along the way. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Let's pause there. The Bible makes a pretty bold claim. And if I were just to say this, it would be too bold of a claim, but it's written in the text. The text is, it says this, if we don't actually experience this, what the Bible calls discipline, this paideia, then we're not born again. Amen. Then we're not Christians. That's what it says. It says, if you are left without discipline, Hebrews 12, 8, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Okay? So this is, I say that to say, this is something that every Christian goes to, goes through. Every Christian goes through. And God, being the perfect father, knows exactly what circumstance, like what is necessary in each and every circumstance. He's never too harsh, never too soft. He's always perfect in every single way that he interacts with us. He's the perfect father. The text goes on to say this. It says uh, in verse, verses 9 and 10, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. So I'm in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Um, it says, they disciplined us a short time as it seemed best to them. So they did the best they could, is kind of what the author of Hebrews is saying. Imperfect parents do the best they can. We're all imperfect. That's what he's saying. He said, but God is not. God is perfect, and he disciplines us. It's not as it seems best to him in the sort of way that it would be for us. It's like, no, it's, it's always the perfect right thing. So, it's, but what was the result of this? What was the result of the discipline so far? It says, besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? One of the big purposes for the discipline of the Lord in our lives, which again, this, this process that he's moving us into adulthood, which sometimes includes us not getting what we want, right? 
one of the big results is that we actually respect the Lord. And this is closely connected to the topic of fearing the Lord. To put it another way, we actually take him seriously. When the Lord tells us no, when the Lord does things that we frankly don't like, when we don't get what we want, it actually teaches us who's on the throne. Because a lot of times what we unintentionally do is we think of God in these terms. He loves me, and he's all-powerful, and he can do whatever he wants, and I want this. Why won't he just do it? It costs him nothing to do this. He could just do this so easily. Why won't he do it? That sort of thinking without intending to has put me on the throne, and I've kind of delegated some authority to God. God, you can have these areas over here, but I need you to do this right here. And so it's not really surrender, really. It's just a little bit. And none of us are perfect at this. None of us are perfect at this, um, as, as I'm going to share about myself here in a minute. But it says that for the moment, this is in verse 11 now, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I always appreciate it when the Bible speaks directly to our actual experience. I'm like, that's so true. In John 15, Jesus talks about the Father pruning, right, so that we may bear more fruit. Pruning is literally having part of a plant cut off so that it may be more fruitful. It's not a pleasant process, and it's very conceptually connected to this idea of the discipline of the Lord. So for the moment, it's not pleasant. But later, later, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But the sentence doesn't stop there to those who have been trained by it. To those who have been trained by it. I feel like sometimes we want a heavenly grandfather, but not a heavenly father. We want this really gentle, calm, run up to him and he gives me a bunch of candy sort of thing, you know. But, but we don't want the, the, the discipline. We don't want that. But, um, but we have a heavenly father. <clears throat> so it says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. If any of you have ever gone through this process where the Lord has called you to surrender something, pointed out an Isaac in your life, you know that that process is pretty rough. Pretty rough. And it says, but later, after the fact, it produces the very thing that we want in the first place. Peace and righteousness. Peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, but it has this, this phrase that actually gives us responsibility. It says, to those who have been trained by it. Proverbs 29.1 says, uh, whoever is often rebuked yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. The Lord can outlast us. The, Lord, the Lord's uh, has greater endurance than our stubbornness. You see what I mean? And so we have a, cooperation, a co- cooperative part in this where it says to those who have been trained by it. And so Going back up to verse 5, really quickly, it says, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. I mean, this is, you know, brushing it off. This is getting ticked off about it. This is getting crushed underneath it. The the author is saying, these are not the right responses. We have to get to the place of surrender and repentance and honestly just say, not as I will, but as you will. This is what the Lord is moving us towards. For me, um, with coffee... I'd like to say um, that he said it, and I said, oh, Lord, it's going to be hard, but I'll do it for you. But if I said that, I'd be a liar, and I don't want to do that. And so it was, it was pretty rough for a few weeks, and I went down kicking and screaming. I was really like, if, if you guys could read some of my uh, journal. It's not a diary. It's a journal. <laughs> if you could read some of that, you would be like, yeah, he was struggling. He was clearly mad. Those pin marks are a little bit more intense, you know, than these other ones over here. Like, it's, it's pretty, pretty clear. Um, <clears throat> and here's the thing. I can come up with all sorts of good-sounding reasons why. I, we, we love the word struggle. I was really struggling. I was really wrestling. But those are just good-sounding ways of saying, I was throwing a temper tantrum. <coughs> I was throwing a temper tantrum. He told me something I didn't want to hear, and I started wailing and freaking out and all sorts of stuff, um, you know, just being really upset. And in many ways, 
you know, we look in the mirror and we, and I'll just say this about myself because I don't want to insult anybody in here, but I look in the mirror and I'm like, am I even an adult? Or am I just a child in an adult's body who has a bigger vocabulary? Because when, if I'm responding this way, when my heavenly father said no, I'm acting like an eight-year-old. But here's the thing, and this is where it gets really serious. When an eight-year-old throws a temper tantrum, okay, I mean, you know, like may, I mean, that's, that's how much damage can really be done by an eight-year-old. When a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old, 70-year-old throws a temper tantrum, there's a lot of collateral damage. And, um, and I had to apologize to my wife multiple times through this process. Yeah. Like it was, um, she was very godly and very patient and she was praying for me and she really was leaning heavily on the Lord, meditating on the word day and night and drawing strength from that. But I was just not a pleasant person to be around. And, um, and why? I was throwing a temper tantrum. I was acting like an eight-year-old. And again, we could say things, oh, I was just really struggling because I don't, you know, but, but really here's the bottom line. He told me something I didn't want to hear and I'm mad. So through this process, I realized that I'm not nearly as mature as I think I am. And again, guys, this is coffee. <laughs> I mean, this is coffee. It's, but, but, what it, but what it symbolizes for all of us is what is the thing you really don't want to let go of? You know, because again, outside of a human relationship, that was pretty much, you know. So the first thing he said to me is, I'm parenting you. I'm parenting you. Just a couple more verses I want to share with you about when you're in a circumstance that is painful, something unpleasant, when the Lord's calling you to surrender. Psalm 119.67 and 71 says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Proverbs 20.30 says, Blows that wound cleanse away evil, and strokes make clean the innermost parts. Think about that. Blows that wound cleanse away evil, and strokes make clean the innermost parts. What I actually didn't realize at the moment is that I have prayed plenty of times, Lord, humble me. Lord, let me be a broken man. Let me be truly surrendered to you. And this was part of the process of him answering that prayer, and I just didn't like it, because strokes make clean the innermost parts. Lamentations 3, I'm sorry I have to keep clearing my throat. I don't know what's going on. But Lamentations 3 is about, it's it's written, you know, traditionally we say Jeremiah probably wrote Lamentations. Um, it's written about the destruction of Jerusalem. Really bad time in Israel's history. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. It's like the end of the world. Um, it was really bad. And so that is the original context that these verses are stated in, but there's a general principle here that applies regardless. <clears throat> Jer- um, Lamentations 3, 25 through 33. Just listen to this. It sounds like a long passage, but it's really not. The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Then listen to this verse. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. God gets no pleasure out of us being in pain. That's what the verse says explicitly. Which means this, when the Lord is telling us to do something, to let go of something that's hard for us, that's painful for us, he's not flippant about it. He's not just saying, suck it up and do it. No, he knows. Listen to the word. But though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we're dust. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. So God isn't taking the pain lightly. 
even if it's something silly like coffee. But he knows it's hard to let go of something. And so the first one, he's parenting us. Second, second thing he said to me, I was, um, this is something he has actually said to me previously at another point of surrender, but he reiterated it and applied it to the current circumstance. So it was at the end, like I said, it was a really rough time and I, I couldn't commend my wife enough for how godly she was through the process. I really couldn't. Um, it was incredible. But I was mowing the grass and I'm normally like a, I normally binge podcasts. My yard is so, my yard is huge. Like, and so just mowing and weed eating takes hours. It's just a really big yard. And so I'll listen to two or three podcasts because of how big the yard is. But this time I thought, no, I just, I mean, I have no desire to listen to podcasts. Um, I, I just don't have any desire to do that. And so I just turned on some worship music and I was just trying to sing. I was just trying to praise the Lord. Um, you'll see in the Bible, a lot of times victory comes through praise. And so, yeah, second Chronicles, um, I think it was King Jehoshaphat. Someone can check me on that, but he is, there's three invading armies, Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir are coming against him. He seeks the Lord and says, what are we going to do? And God says, listen, you're not even going to have to fight. Go out, put on your gear, which you're not even going to have to fight. And Jehoshaphat, in response, puts the musicians out front in front of the army as they're marching to the battlefield the next day. And it explicitly says in this text, Second Chronicles chapter 20, and when the musicians began to sing... The Lord set an ambush for the other army. When they began to praise, the victory came. So it was. In the, I was like, "Well, I, I've got this sort of thing in my mind." So I'm singing, and just listening to um, worship music, hoping that the sound of the mower is louder than the sound of my voice. You know, but uh, just going around. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, and the Lord said these words. He said, "I understand. I understand." And what he meant was. I, could, I, I just understand this. He, he, said, he was saying, I understand that it's difficult to surrender. And what he took me to was the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, let me pause here and perhaps answer a thought to say, Christian, do you mean to tell me that you're comparing your coffee struggle with the Garden of Gethsemane? I'm not comparing that, but I believe Jesus did, but I believe that this is what he was saying. Listen, my level of surrender in the Garden of Gethsemane surpasses everything else. So anything down here, even something so simple as a struggle with letting go of coffee, I understand because there's no greater act of surrender that could have been done. So I understand the greatest surrender and also everything that falls underneath that. So I understand that it's hard. He said, I, I understand. And what the tone in which he said it was equally as important as the words. It wasn't like, hey, I understand. I get it. Suck it up. You know, I mean, Hebrews, I, I didn't read this part, but there's a part right after what I said where it says, make straight paths for your feet, you know, strengthen your weak knees, get a grip so that what's lame is not put out of joint, but rather healed. If we don't cooperate with what the Lord's showing us, it could get worse is what the passage is saying. But, but, but it wasn't like harsh. It wasn't harsh at all. It was, it was just, it was compassionate. It was, I understand. I get it. It wasn't yielding. It wasn't saying, you know what? I understand it's really hard. I, I withdraw what I said. He wasn't withdrawing what he said, but he's saying, I get it. So if you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, there is, of course, uh, it is, it's a really interesting glimpse into Jesus's life. He goes into the garden and he prays all night long until, of course, the betrayer comes with the, with the armed guards. But his prayer is just so interesting. He says, you know, Lord, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, um, which, of course, I'm reading that. I'm like, if any way this cup of coffee could pass for me, I mean, just kind of like fits right in there. I don't mean to be like disrespectful to the text, but it's coming to my mind. But, you know, if there's any way that this cup can pass for me, you know, I pray for that, but not as I will, but as you will. In a weird and mysterious way, we see Jesus surrendering to the Father's will. I don't understand how all that works out. A lot of theologians had talked about, you know, how that's even possible. I'm not even going to get into that. All I know is that Jesus surrendered to the Father's will. And he wrestled through submission to it because he clearly prayed, if it's possible for this to be any other way, I pray for it. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He prayed three times. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see a progression, actually, in the life of Jesus. And this is the progression that we follow on the path to surrender. The first step is agony. There's some agonizing circumstance. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it was the imminence, the imminency of the cross. It's right here. And, and honestly, 
I think that even bigger than the cross were the spiritual implications. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, that whole thing. So Jesus has this physical and spiritual battle right in front of him. It's an agonizing circumstance. So then let's follow the path that Jesus went on here. Agony led to what? Agony led to prayer. Prayed three times, prayed all night long. Not as I will, but as you will. Prayer led to surrender. It's a very clear progression. Agony to prayer. Prayer to surrender. Surrender led to death. Death on a cross. But that is not the final step. In Hebrews chapter 12, listen to this. This is the fifth and final stage of the process. Hebrews chapter 12, actually right before the passage that we just read a moment ago. It says, uh, Therefore, I'm just reading verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen to this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's the progression. Agony to prayer, prayer to surrender, surrender to death, death to joy. Joy. But joy comes after death. Now we're back into you know places like Luke 9, 23. Uh, Whoever would follow me must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross, again, when that was originally spoken, when Jesus said that, the crucifixion hadn't happened yet. So when they hear cross, all they think is, That's, that means death. Or, Take up my cross. And so, yeah, am I talking about going out and physically dying? Most likely not in our context. Am I talking about things like death to self? Learning to truly say, not as I will, but as you will, and submitting to the Father's will? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Agony to prayer. Prayer to surrender, surrender to death, and death to joy. The very thing we think, and it's funny, because when we're struggling with surrender, we think giving up the thing will take away joy, or giving up the thing is actually the pathway to true joy. You know? That's the, the bottom line. You know, I've been, the Lord showed me a famous passage in Philippians 4, um, you know, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned that in whatever situation I'm to be content you know, whether well-fed or hungry, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of contentment. Paul is talking, and then he says the famous verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It was really interesting to me that he says, in any and every circumstance, I am to be content. And I'm like, you know, that even applies when we're wrestling through surrender and we have negative emotions. That means we can be content even when we're struggling with feeling down emotionally. I never made that connection before. Where I'm like, okay, so contentment is not emotional. It can lead to emotions, but it by definition cannot be emotional because it says any and every circumstance and feeling emotionally down is a circumstance. So it's, it's, but we believe that giving up the thing that truly hinders our joy will make us never have joy. It's, it's backwards thinking. Hebrews 4, speaking about, you know, we're still talking about this heading of I understand. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It doesn't say struggles, it says weaknesses. That's even broader. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. As a result of that, what should we do? Let us then, let us therefore, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It says right there, Jesus understands. He knows it's hard. And, and don't, don't think for a second that something that you're wrestling to surrender is too small. Like I said, y'all, I'm, I'm teaching a lesson based off of coffee. Like, I mean, you see what I mean? And that's such a silly little thing. But it shows that it was such a big deal that it, that it really had reached the level of idolatry because I was like, I can't be happy without coffee in the morning. Where it's like, wow, that's it's kind of... By the way, if you're feeling awkward right now about sipping your coffee, don't feel that way. Everybody can take a sip right now. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I just, I just, uh, yeah, that's, that, that'll be next week. But, um, but 
So I'm parenting you. I understand. And then the third question, and I think that this was probably the most pointed one, not mean or anything, but it was the one that really kind of stung a little bit. I felt like the Lord said, would you rather me speak and say something you don't want to hear, or would you rather me not speak in your life at all? Would you rather me say something you, want to, you don't want me to hear, but, but, but I'm still speaking in your life, I'm still working, or would you rather me be more distant? And you get left to your own devices and you can do what you want, go to church, memorize some scripture, but I'm not that actively involved, really. And I'm like, oh, man, I know the right answer. I know the true answer. Is there a third option? You know, like, and so, you know, when Jesus asks questions, it's not for information. And sometimes in my life, when he's trying to get me to see something, he'll ask me a question that I'm meant to ponder. When Jesus asks us a question, don't just answer it, ponder it. Because since he's not just asking for information because he already knows the true answer, that, mean, that means that we're supposed to reflect on it. Does that make sense? So, for example, years ago, I'm using you in an illustration, Ryan, get ready. Um, years ago, Ryan and I were offered um, the possibility of going down to Ecuador for a month. Now, something you need to know about both Ryan and myself, we... We had already been down to Ecuador at least one time, maybe twice at this point. I don't remember how many times we had gone. Uh, we love the Spanish language. I almost became a Spanish major in college just because I, I like it so much. I don't even know why, but I was really, really was drawn to it. And uh, so one of the pastors brings us in and said, listen, um, we need to do some scouting out of Ecuador to you know, make plans for missions for the next four to seven years. So what we want to do is to fund you guys to go down there. Yeah, you'll do some partnering with local uh, missionaries, but you'll kind of do some traveling around in the villages, scope out the demographic, age groups and stuff like that. And you'll do some evangelism and you'll just spend a month down there and then you'll come back and we can make a plan. Now, for some of you guys, that might be like, eh. For me and for him, we were like, Yes, like please, like that's incredible. Like that's that's like kid in the candy shop status. This is back years ago. This is like six years ago at this point. However, without getting into the details of why, circumstances were such that I could not go. However, if I had been offered literally one month prior, I could have gone. Two months, six months, anything. You know, I, I, I it, almost any time prior to this, but this one moment. I was like, I can't, I can't do it. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to. And so this was many, many years ago. Um, and so I, I remember praying to the Lord, and I was like, God, why would you let that happen? Like, why would you, why would you let circumstances unfold in this way? And, and this was another point where he asked me a question. He said, he actually quoted Scripture to me, in a way, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit will just take a verse and apply it to your circumstance. John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Um, the next day, he crossed over the lake. All the people burnt all the calories they just consumed by running around the lake looking for him. And uh, then Jesus says, you guys aren't following me because of the signs that you saw. You're following because you ate your fill of the loaves and you want more food. That's why you're following me. And so they're like baiting him. They're like, well, you know, Moses gave us bread from heaven. What sign do you give us? Hint, hint. Maybe some more bread. You know, and so it's really, I mean, it's actually kind of pathetic. When you read it, you're like, this is so, come on, guys. You're, you're just making the human race look awful. And so, like, they go through this whole conversation, and Jesus says some really intense things. Unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have no part with me. And they say, this is really hard. Who can handle this? Luke 6, 66 says a lot of the disciples then cease to follow him because Jesus didn't behave the way that they wanted him to. They didn't give him what they, they, he didn't give them what they wanted. And then Jesus looked at the 12, and what did he say to the 12? Who remembers? You want to leave me too? Exactly. Are you going to leave me too? Are you, are you also going to leave? So while I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, why would you let the circumstances happen this way? Blah, 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 whine, whine, wah, wah, just going on. And he interrupts and just goes, are you going to leave me too? Now that I've done something that you don't like, how are you going to respond? He asked me that question. 
Obviously, I already, he already knows the answer to this question, but the question was asked for me to ponder because he wants to show me something about me. Likewise, this question, would you rather me speak and say something you don't like or not speak at all? That was meant for me to look in the mirror. Um, those three things, I'm parenting you, I understand, and would you rather me speak and say something you don't like or not speak at all? Those were the three big things he spoke to me. And through the process, I came to a lot of unflattering conclusions. One, I'm way less mature than I thought I was. When Peter said to the Lord, I will never deny you, Jesus. Even if all these other losers deny you, I'm never going to deny you. I feel like the other 11 must have been perpetually like ticked off at Peter. <laughs> like Just looking at what he says, you're like, dude, why would you even say that? But so he... He said that, and we all know the story. He then not only denies him once, but thrice. Any opportunity to use the word thrice. Three times. <laughs> he denies him three times. And, but here's the thing. Peter, I don't think Peter was trying to be deceptive when he said, I'll never deny you. I think he believed it. Yes, yes. I think he sincerely believed it, but here's the truth. His character had only been good because it did not have the right circumstance to manifest his true self. He had only been good in this area because he hadn't had just the right opportunity to be bad. And so what happened was Peter realized, Peter probably had a little bit of a disconnect when he was like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I responded that way. And he clearly thought himself way more mature, way more sold out to Jesus than he really was. Likewise, me. Before all this process happened, I thought I was way more mature, way more humble, and way more surrendered than I clearly am. Because if I was nearly as mature, nearly as humble, any of these things, as I thought I was, then I would have delighted at the opportunity to give Jesus something that was precious to me. You remember when David was offering the sacrifice? It was one of David's not finer moments, but we don't think about this one as much because the whole Uriah Bathsheba thing just kind of takes the spotlight on his failures. But he takes a census. He takes a census, which was probably to count his military power. Kind of like Nebuchadnezzar, where Nebuchadnezzar was like, look at this mighty kingdom of Babylon, which I have built by my own power. So David was doing something like that. And even Joab, his commander, was like, David, bro, don't do this. Look, why are you doing this? You're clearly powerful. And David said, shut up, I'm the king, do it. And, okay. So then God says, no, absolutely not. Because you've done this, there's going to be a judgment's going to come. And you get to pick. Here's three choices. I think it was, what, three, three years of famine, three months of being pursued by your enemies, or three days of, like, disease, a plague. So he's like, well, I'll take the three days, and tens of thousands of people die. David looks up, and he sees the angel of the Lord suspended between heaven and earth with a drawn sword held out over Jerusalem. That's bad news. And so, you know, the Lord tells him, go through this threshing floor, and... um build an altar. So David goes to this threshing floor, and he's going to buy it from this guy. And the guy said, oh, king, it's all yours. It's totally yours. You take it. You're the king. I'll even give you the oxen. And he says, no, 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 no. He says, I want to pay you full price for that because I'm not going to offer to the Lord something that didn't cost me anything. I'm not going to offer to the Lord something that didn't cost me anything. And the reason why I share all that is because I think we're always wanting to offer to the Lord things that don't cost us anything. As silly as it may sound, coffee was something that cost me something. And I didn't want to give it up. And the fact that I didn't want to give it up really shows the condition of my heart. And so it shows I wasn't nearly as humble and mature as I thought I was. But then, and this is the least flattering of it all, it shows that I love Jesus less than I thought I did. Because whoever loves me will keep my commandments. If I really delighted in the Lord as much as I thought that I did, then I would have, like I said, when Jesus said, give me that, I would have been like, yes, absolutely. Like, I am thrilled to give you something that actually is a sacrifice for me. It's kind of like whenever, if you're going to church and you're giving your money, on the good months, it's not really a sacrifice to give, but on the bad months where things are actually tight, you're like, mm, you know, like, that's the sacrifice. And when you give in the hard times, indicates more about the condition of your heart than when you give in the good times. Now, you should give in both. But, I mean, but you see what I'm saying here. Same principle here. So what do you do with all this? And, and I hope that you guys have been able to see how this applies to you in whatever circumstance it might. 
I mean, it might not be a present circumstance, but if you think back to times of surrender, you can see, you can see that what I'm talking about transcends my silly little struggle with coffee. You know? So what is our response? Our response is one word. Repent. We have to repent. When we see this about ourselves, we have to repent. We have to surrender. We have to yield. You know, we talk about, um, one of the things we talk about in here is the infilling of the Holy Spirit, second eye, and the scripture that is associated with the infilling of the Holy Spirit is Ephesians 5.18, and do not be drunk with wine, for that is, you know, dissipation is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You look at the terminology in the New Testament, and it uses things like, for those who are led by the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, um, and we understand that if we want to be led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, a prerequisite for that is yielding. It's surrender. Because if I'm not surrendered to him and he tells me to do something I don't want to do, then I'm not going to follow. Does that make sense? So surrender. It's the word I started with. It's the word I'm going to end with. We have to surrender. And if we've not been surrendering, we have to repent. We have to repent. We have to yield. But remember, yeah, in order to do this, you're going to pass through death. But the very joy that you want is just on the other side of that. The very reason why you don't want to surrender. And isn't it just true? We don't know how strong the flesh is until you try to resist it. You know, like when the Lord's like, hey, give up coffee, which makes you feel good. And I was like, no way. Like, and then I got angry. And so I was like, you don't know how the flesh, how strong the flesh is until you try to resist it. And so, surrender. Yes, Dwayne. Um, can you give us any insight as to how you yeah. came to the weaning off versus cold turkey mm-hmm. conversation? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so just to repeat his question for those who are online. Uh, hello, my brothers and sisters in Kenya, by the way. <laughs> and Pennsylvania, Micah, I know you're there too. Um, but, yeah. The Lord said, give it up. He didn't specify necessarily uh, how. He didn't say, give it up cold turkey. If he had said, give it up cold turkey, like if I'd really thought that's what he said, then that's what I would have needed to do. But he just said, give it up. And so I tried cold turkey and I woke up and uh, about the 24-hour mark, things started getting bad. And and I don't want to go into details for the sake of all you guys, but I was really sick. Like, it was so bad. Like, I... um. I was sobbing out of like physical pain. Like it was really, really awful. I, uh, I'll just say it, I threw up multiple times. Like it was crazy. And, um, sorry if you didn't want to know that detail, but I just, I was like, I, I, I got to approach this differently. I don't feel compelled to do it this exact way anyways. And so I'm going to start weaning myself off. And so then I said, Lacey, will you please brew me a cup of green tea? Green tea. Green tea has about one third of the caffeine that a cup of coffee would. And after drinking it, less than half an hour later, all my symptoms disappeared. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a problem. But so uh, the reason why I was comfortable doing that was just because, um, the Lord had given me a general thing and this was just as much obeying him because I had a, what, what made it helpful was I had a specific plan. I wasn't like, well, yeah, I'm going to get myself. It was no, every three days I'm decreasing this amount. So at this rate, it'll be gone. And so it was still very intentional and calculated and I didn't feel convicted over that in any way, shape or form. And so I, um, that's a plan, a plan for obedience. It was a plan. Yeah. And so, and it was a measurable plan. Uh, an unmeasurable plan for obedience is just delaying, it's stalling. Um, if you feel like God's told me to do something, it's like, yeah, I need to get around to doing that, but blah, blah, blah. But it's not actually like actionable steps. That's just stalling. It's just, a, it's a, it's a, it's again, it's a good sounding form of disobedience. But so I just, uh, I, I planned on stopping cold turkey and then I knew the next two to nine days are going to be awful. Um, but I didn't know like it was going to be like that. And so um, I, I still feel like, I was within the realm of doing what the Lord had told me. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to share. Yeah, yeah. So I hope that's that's helpful. Um, um, because my body, my body really, really freaked out. But again, it was a very clear, 
sort of steps. And, and again, I was very imperfect in my execution of this. Yet through the process, um, the Lord was very gracious and very gentle. These things that he spoke to me, very kind. And so just my faltering, angry, and even resistant obedience, the Lord, I think, was far gentler with me that way than if I had not, you know, if I had stalled. And like I said, my, my wife was extremely gracious to me. And um, so I think that the Lord really just kind of... Um, lavished a bunch of pity on me through all those circumstances, even though my surrender was very, very uh, um, poorly executed at times. So, yeah, that was helpful. Does I need, do I need to clarify anything else? Because I, I'm glad that you asked that. My opinion, one day you'll know why he asked you to do that. Yeah. My yeah, and, and I will confess, there have been times where I'm like, you know, if uh, if the Lord calls me to go overseas somewhere, how will I get caffeine? Like those sorts of thoughts have passed through my mind. How am I going to mitigate these physical symptoms, headaches and things like that? And so I can see, I don't know the specifics, but I'm like, uh, I, there are things that I wouldn't want to do because of limited access to caffeine. You see? Yeah. Um, good. Anything else, class? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what is that? The Lord chastises the one that he loves? And every, yeah, yeah. Revelation 3.19 is another one of the, the discipline verses. So if you, you want to meditate on those, there's, there's actually quite a few of them. But, well, and yet, and yet, but the Lord is, the Lord is so gentle. He, he really is. And he's, he's, he is compassionate. Like I said, he knows exactly what we can take. And if he seems harsh, it's probably because we've been stiffening our neck. That's what you see in a lot of times in the Bible. So let me pray for us, and then you guys can have your small group time. Mm-hmm. Father, you know, Lord, I've tried to be transparent. Um, I've tried to be honest in the hopes that somebody can connect with this. But Lord, the real reason why I spoke about this is because those three things that I shared, Father, I believe that you spoke to me. I believe that you said them. And Lord, when you speak, there's power. We see that everywhere in the scriptures, Lord. When you speak, there's power. Your voice, I mean, created everything in the beginning, Lord. You spoke creation to being. And so, Lord, since your voice has power, I wanted to talk about what you said and not about my musings or my thoughts or even a lesson I could have written up. So, Lord, since it originated with you, I believe it's going to impact people. Lord, help us to surrender. Although it's a very scary thing to pray, search us, O God, Know our heart, try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Put your finger on what it is. And Lord, help us to be courageous. Help us to be bold. Help us to actually trust you. Help us to love you more. But Lord, we repent. We repent for whatever we've left off the altar. Dear Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, guys. Well, I hope that that was... Uh, encouraging to you and that the Lord spoke to you through it. Uh, As always, if you have any questions or if there's a topic that you would like to hear discussed, feel free to email me at IJustWantToTalkAbout at gmail.com and I'll include that in the description of this episode as well so you can just copy and paste it. Um, But as always, I hope you guys have a great day. God bless you.